If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. Hello, everyone. We have yet another very exciting guest on the program today. His name is Andy Cabasso. And Andy is the co-founder of a tech startup called Postaga. And Postaga does AI-assisted outreach. In the episode, we actually get into how he came up with the idea, as well as how he went about approaching the first round of customers for the product, and a number of other interesting topics like time management, careers, and standing out from all of the noise that's out there in the software industry. Something super interesting about Andy is he actually started his first company while he was still in law school. He pivoted his whole career, ended up selling that company, and used those proceeds to start Postaga. So very interesting story. And with that, welcome Andy to the show. All right, and we're live. Uh, Andy, welcome to the SaaS Sales Players. How you doing? I'm good, Jesse. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I was just telling you off air that where I like to typically start these interviews is mm-hmm. with just a bit of an introdu- excuse me, a bit of an introduction uh, about you, uh, how you got into the tech business, and then you know mm-hmm. anything else you care to share about your background and and your career. Sure. Uh, so I kind of have a we- like a weird path that got me to where I am and doing, you know, sales and startups and everything like that. Uh, So I studied business in undergrad and then went straight through to law school. Uh, I graduated undergrad in uh, 09, which was a bad time to be graduating uh, undergrad. Um, And I, at the kind of advice of some mentors I had, uh, law school would be the best use of my talents and skill set. And in law school, I realized that I did not want to be practicing law. Uh, so uh, I started uh, kind of a, a side hustle of uh, one thing that I noticed when I was in law school is most law firms that I was applying to work jobs at that I most of them didn't want to work at, they all had really bad websites and a poor internet presence. And so I started a side business of uh, web design uh, and digital marketing for law firms. And it, I, I did a good enough job with our uh, SEO and marketing that it kind of picked up. Um, and the first person I was able to hire was a, a salesperson. Um, and then we grew this agency um, and then it got acquired by a larger company in our market, which was a legal space. And so a larger legal tech mm-hmm. company acquired our agency. Um, and then 
after my commitment ended with uh, the acquiring company, I moved on to start uh, Postago, which is another tech company that uh, helps with uh, cold outreach. Awesome. So really quickly, I want to, yeah. just because it's interesting to me. So uh, a lot of my listeners probably don't know this, but I took the LSAT in, in undergrad as well. And I, I was in school a little bit after you. Uh, and it was just a tough time and a scary time to be thinking about starting a career when they're, you know, right in the middle of the great recession. Yeah. And I'm curious, how far into law school were you when you just made the decision to sort of cut your losses? It looks like you got the degree or it sounds like you got the degree, but, uh, at what point did you kind of just mentally resign from, from being an attorney? So, um, I, when I was in law school, I think one of the things that I became very acutely aware of is that if you end up going to work at a big prestigious law firm, which is what mm -hmm. most people want who are uh, not going the public interest uh, route, is you you make great money, but your productivity is measured by billable hours. And so right. if I am or if I'm really good at Excel or some other productivity tools that can help me save time or I'm better at researching things, um, that's great and all, but I'm still like, my goal is to spend more time on a project. And I, as kind of an, as someone with like an entrepreneurial bent, I was constantly looking for ways to save me time and be more productive. And right. that, that wasn't really what, what I was, uh, interested in in particular. And so, uh, I did graduate law school. I passed the bar exam. I am a licensed lawyer here in New York, although I'm wow. not actively practicing. Um, but that, yeah, I guess the real benefit of being a licensed lawyer here is that family will often ask me for legal advice and friends will ask me about legal advice. So that's fun. <laughs> are, are you your own general counsel or house counsel for Postaga or, or do you outsource that? So for Postaga and, and my last agency, I mean, I... I can handle pretty routine sort of legal things, but when we got acquired, for example, I, I'm not an M&A lawyer. I don't have that background right. and given, you know, sums of money, I didn't want to make a mistake and then be like, oh, well, I saved a couple thousand dollars on, by doing it myself right. and then made a huge mistake in, in the long run. So uh, for big things like uh, M&A, really M&A and, and funding, uh, I'll always hire a lawyer for. Yeah, that's, uh, that makes perfect sense. And super interesting. Yeah, I, I decided I wasn't going to be an attorney right after I got my LSAT score back. And, and then I had to start thinking about alternatives. Um, so, so another question I have, and I, I know you probably didn't come on here wanting to talk all about your legal career. But a lot, <laughs> a lot of my, my listeners are transitioning into SaaS uh, or tech from other professions. And maybe some of those yeah. folks are coming from the legal profession or finance or real estate or hospitality. Mm -hmm. uh, what are a few things that, you know, you learned as a, as a student uh, of the law that you've taken with you into a business or an entrepreneurship or a tech career uh, that might've given you some kind of edge? I'm just always curious. And I think the exercise mm -hmm. here for the listeners is, you know, whatever your background is. And I know my background before I got into tech was, uh, you know, a little bit of financial services and, and customer service. How can you bring those things into, uh, you know, entrepreneurship or into the tech business? So I'm curious what, what, what things you took away from law school that might've helped you and what you're doing now. So I, I think one, well, one thing that, uh, that law, law, well, law 
prepares you for like this one thing that is can be at odds with entrepreneurship is a sort of risk averse mentality and uh, trying to plan out for all contingencies. So yeah, law is very risk averse because in the law you see every bad situation that can happen from uh, in, from not having a comma in the right place in a contract to um, yeah, uh, to yeah like issues like that. But um, with kind of being like going down an entrepreneurial path, what I think what I, it was best helpful for like in the legal career preparation was uh, us critical thinking, really like being able to take a look at a situation and analyze it. Now, th that all being said, it, like I, that's a, would, would if, you, if you could do it all over again, right? Like, would you spend all that time and effort in, in going through law school to be a lawyer to then transition careers? Uh, who knows? I am yeah. I am here where I am today because of the path that, that I have chosen. So I can't. No matter what, I can't be thinking back on uh, what would I what would I do differently. But yeah. Uh, that that being said, I talk with a lot of people who are looking into changing careers, and the thing that I could say like is probably most helpful when you're looking to transition into a different field is just be in incredibly curious. Try to learn as much as you possibly can. Uh, be awkward and reach out to people cold who are more established in the field that you want to be in uh, mm -hmm. to get like do informational interviews, uh, pick, the, uh, pick their brain, see what it's really like in that field, what the day-to-day -day is like, what things you should be thinking about more that you don't know. And so like uh, a few people in legal have reached out to me saying, I want to be in marketing. And so I I give them advice to like, well, here are the things that you want to be thinking about if you want to go to an agency or an in-house marketing role. Here are the typical career paths that you can uh, that you can have as options. Um, I'm happy, like I'm happy to look at your resume and give you feedback on that and see tell you what someone in marketing is going to say when they look at your resume. But right. I think the best thing you could do is reach out to people who are more established in the field. And, and a lot of like people are generally very nice and willing to help someone who's looking to break into a new field um, because a lot of industries, it, they're small communities. And in the future, you may, they may run into you, you may run into them. And uh, yeah, people are often happy to share their expertise. Like I, I love going on podcasts and talking yeah. about things that I know and, and yeah. everyone loves listening to podcasts and hearing new ideas and taking them down and use and taking them forward. And so, um, yeah, I, I think the, best thing I would say is if you're looking to enter a new profession, learn as much as you can learn from people who are more established and, uh, yeah, build your experience there. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And one of the themes that I talk about a lot on the show that I think is something that makes me unique as a professional and a business person. And I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with this. And I'm, I'm sure you'd agree. Most people that enter the legal profession have this same quality uh, is curiosity. You have to be a little bit curious. I mean, I think you probably couldn't be a very good lawyer if you weren't at least curious about the, the you know, precedent behind a case or something like that. And I think sales and business and entrepreneurship, it's the same, it's the same muscle, which is you've got to be curious why people buy something, or you've got to be curious why someone becomes a lead or why, you know, a piece of code can make something more productive. So uh, I, I think what you're hitting on is definitely really interesting to the audience. And, and something that I did a lot early in my career was I, I reached out to people 
even when I was considering the option of being an attorney, I went and shadowed a bankruptcy attorney here locally, and he was happy to let me sit and, and you know, look over his shoulder for seven hours, which was crazy. Uh, and I think is why can... I'm sure, which is why you did not go to become a bankruptcy attorney. <laughs> I, I've, I've done some bankruptcy work. Yeah, it's a it's a real slog. It is. It is. Yeah. And, you know, I did the same thing for a dentist and, and in my tech and SaaS career, I've done it a lot of times for, uh, you know, entrepreneurs. I, I talked about on a recent episode that I joined a startup in Austin and I sat next to the CEO. And that was probably one of the most important career opportunities that I had was, you know, shoulder to shoulder with uh, a guy who had already taken another company public and just had some amazing amount of wisdom on how to to bring enterprise customers on board. And, you know, in six months of sitting shoulder to shoulder with that individual, I probably leveled up five years in some ways, at least that's how I think about it. So I think you're exactly right. You know, reaching out, making those network connections really helps you to, to kind of level up. Yeah, And I know that it can like feel awkward if you're like, I have nothing of value to provide. And so I'm reaching out on LinkedIn to this other person who is the CEO of a company and, you know, worst case, they don't respond and that's it. They you know they get a lot of messages on LinkedIn. They don't respond. That's fine. You move on. But, you know, best case, they can give you some guidance and trajectory and potentially help save you a bunch of time from making the wrong mistakes and pursuing the wrong things. Like, yeah, someone reached out to me and we had a conversation and they were like, here's what I'm working on right now. And this is what I'm interested in. Um, and I... I was frank about, well, here is, here is what is going to happen. If you go down this path, you might get pigeonholed in this particular area, which is very competitive. Um, you have a great background. Here's what I think would help you be more competitive and stand out and provide you some good career opportunities. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, like with starting and running a business and growing a business, knowing from people who are more experienced, who have done the done the work themselves, it can help you avoid making those same mistakes. Absolutely. So tell us about how you got the idea for Postaga. Actually, you know what, before you get into the genesis or the how, uh, hmm. or how you got the idea anyway, tell us about Postaga, what's the sort of value proposition and what makes it different than some of the other outreach tools in the marketplace? Sure. So uh, yeah, Postaga is a cold outreach platform that handles basically the full scope of doing cold email outreach from prospecting to find uh, websites, businesses, journalists that you want to connect with, um, find their contact information, and then builds and sends uh, personalized email sequences to them. Now, um, if you're doing cold outreach for sales, for example, there are, you know, there are a ton of tools that people are mm -hmm. using for, for cold outreach. Um, where Postaga stands out is that uh, uh, Postaga really does the full spectrum of, of outreach. So instead of you needing to source your leads, scour LinkedIn, spend hours and hours doing all of that and then find emails and drop them into your email software, Posaga does all of it in one app. So Posaga will help you help you prospect to find the right people. Um, and then using some of our own AI, uh, look through LinkedIn and find the right contact people at the company so you don't have to do it manually um, and then build and send uh, personalized pitches. So basically you don't have to spend all of that time that you that would otherwise cost you hours and hours to do. 
Yeah, I've used a lot of the automation or outreach tools over the course of my tech career. And, mm-hmm. you know, out, outreach and sales loft come to mind. HubSpot, yeah. of course, has has a sequencing or a, an outreach tool now. Do you guys, can you build a, a sequence of, of outreach or is it uh, yeah. focused more on the, the gathering of, so, okay, so you can do a sequence and then it's also, it, it also brings in the contacts data, which I don't, I don't know how far along outreach or, or sales loft are on that front. I think you've got to use multiple systems in order to bring in lead mm-hmm. data to something like outreach. Yeah. A, a lot of the tools are really meant to work in tandem. Like you figure out, you figure out your prospecting, you do, you build your lists from built with or whatever your sources are, then you get a list uh, with email addresses that you figure out somehow and then import those contacts into our platform. Um, we figured like since since these, this is a pretty standard process that ever like mostly a standard process that everyone's doing, um, let's just bring it all under one one roof and integrate some AI to save you time with the prospecting um, yeah. and you know, do it all at once. So tell us about how you got the idea. And, and I'm sure, I imagine at some point you mm-hmm. looked at the the addressable market for this and said, wow, there's a lot of widgets out there. Uh, there's a lot of software, you know, w- very well-funded companies out there doing something similar enough. Uh, but you've obviously found sort of your value and your differentiators. But tell us, you know, sort of how you got the idea for this and how you approached that 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 mountain of, okay, we're going to be going up against some very big names in the SaaS business uh, with this idea. And that, you know, it may initially not be responded to well by prospects. You know, walk us through some of that uh, headspace. So uh, the original idea kind of came about from running a digital agency. Um, people who are doing link building, which is a, you know, a part of SEO, uh, which involves cold outreach to websites to pitch them to link to your content to help it rank better in search. Um, that's not very specifically sales related, but the, the process, the workflow is very similar and that involves prospecting, finding contacts and emails, and then building and sending an outreach sequence that's tailored to each individual contact. And so um, but we saw the same issues kind of in that space where there weren't really good all in, there weren't really any all in one tools that did prospecting and contact finding and sending uh, emails. And so we kind of like our very first version of Postago was specifically for outreach for uh, link building and SEO. And then we, as we spoke with some of our customers, they were using Postaga in ways that we had not anticipated, uh, in particular, like sales outreach. And Mm -hmm. so we kind of, after speaking to the the users and realizing, wow, the workflows are very similar, we added uh, features that that are more, more sales oriented. Oh, interesting. And how did you go about approaching the first round of prospects? And, you know, I imagine at this point, you've got a handful of customers. How did you go about sort of narrowing down that niche of, of who to reach out to and, and what was your process? Yeah. So, um, so the, like initial prospects for, you know, for, uh, I guess the earliest users we had were our beta users where we were testing out the platform and, uh, I was using it, using its prospecting capabilities to find particularly agencies. And so, uh, I would search basically digital agencies in different cities all around the United States, the UK, basically English speaking uh, countries and just cold reach out to them at saying like with a pitch to the effect of, hey, I've got this 
this link building tool that's in beta right now. And I'm looking to get feedback from established agencies like yourselves. Happy to give you uh, free use while we're in beta if you could give us some feedback. And it we got a lot of good responses from that. It helped shape the direction of our product and a bunch of them uh, became paying users. And then as we as we launched our product product out of beta, the we launched on Product Hunt, where we ended up being number one for the day on Product Hunt, number two for the week. And uh, from there, we got a lot uh, a lot of notice from that. And uh, you know, as part of the growth phase of building a business, been doing a uh, a lot of inbound marketing, so content marketing, SEO, as well as doing cold outreach, which we continue been just doing from day one. And, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. It looks like you guys yeah. are a, you know, a four person team today. Are you doing most of the sales yourself or, or is it split oh, between the, I, I got to update LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> we are about I think 10 people today. Oh, okay. Um, wow. And, uh, so we, I've, I've got a, a team, uh, now with, um, uh, I guess two other people in, uh, sales support roles. Um, and I also do sales, uh, today as well. Uh, I, even with my agency, I still I was always doing sales. Even when we had like four people specifically in sales roles, mm -hmm. I as a just as a founder and an owner, I I take take ownership of sales to some degree because I want to know what my customers are interested in, potential customers are interested in, and be able to help better like direct the direct how our product is going to evolve, but also yeah. know what the pain, really best know what these pain points are that our potential customers are having. Yeah. Something I've always found interesting. I'm going to ask you the question here, being a founder that's still, you know, carrying a sales bag in, in, in so many ways. And I'm sure your day is not just focused on sales. You've probably got code commits and HR operations, legal, all kinds of other, you know, moving parts in, in a startup. And I, I've, I've worked along some, I've worked alongside some, some founders very closely who, before I came in as a dedicated seller, they were doing it all. How do you, how do you manage your week and your time? And, and you're also here on a, on a podcast uh, on a Monday and uh, you know, we're, we're here talking on a Monday afternoon on a podcast. How do you, you know, how do you block, do you use calendar blocks or do you have a framework or strategy that you use to sort of block time for and, and bucket time for specific activities in the business? Uh, and if so, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do. I'm, I'm throwing you a softball question here, but walk yeah. us through how you manage all of the different moving parts of a startup while, you know, also mm -hmm. making sure you have time to prospect and follow up on leads and those kind of things. Yeah. So the, yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of distractions in the day-to-day -day of, of running a business. Uh, uh, one good note is I am not a technical co-founder, so I yeah. don't I don't touch code at all, which is good because we uh, it's that's not a thing that anyone would want would want to see. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, blocking time is kind of huge for me. So knowing like like blocking time in each day for specific management related workflows, things I need to do to give feedback to other people, so they're not uh, blocked from completing their own projects. Um, trying to like deal with like that stuff as in the morning as much as I can, um, as well as any like follow-ups and things like that. Also try and deal with early on in the day. Um, I, in a perfect world, it's not the case, but in a perfect world, I would be like checking my email once in the beginning of the day and once towards the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not there yet, but, um, but definitely like blocking 
time in each day for specific activities and projects or demos and calls and things like that is really the only way I could like be able to get anything done just because there are like there, yeah, there are so many distractions in a day and Mm -hmm. task switching is like a real cost jumping from one thing to another check. Like I, I make sure I don't get email notifications on my desktop or anything like that, because that, that would be a nightmare. Um, I would, would yeah. not be able to get any serious project done. Mm-hmm. How many hours a week would you say you invest in sales motions or sales oriented activities? Um, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> and um, is, it, is it the majority or, or would you say it's sort of a 50, 50 split or does it, you know, take up a quarter of the time? I'd, I'd say it probably takes about like, in terms of my day, let's say a quarter of the time. I'm all like, I also have, you know, team members and that, that help me in sales support roles that do that are doing things like, like prospecting and doing outreach and uh, basically like like reviewing reviewing leads and feeding me the ones that I can take over um, and follow up on and things like that. Um, but yeah, the, that's made my life so much easier. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, you know, for your cycles, is it you know multiple calls before before a deal closes, or are they not so complex? Is it typically kind of a one to two call close process? Mm-hmm. Uh, walk us through some of those uh, specifics. I'm curious. Yeah, so we, we have a, a range of different customers. Some like we have a a our product has like a very self service option, and so there are some customers we never hear from and they right. sign up, and that's great. Um, others uh, who might be switching from another product and they want to get a more a demo or something get get some more specifics uh, for related to, the, to their use case, and those typically are I'd say they're like uh, there's a demo and then two follow-ups or something like that. But then there are uh, larger deals and, pro- uh, and projects that uh, will go on for dozens of conversations and go through months, you know, the enterprise deal sort of situation because mm-hmm. you have to, it's, you know, you have to get like you have the, the person who was tasked with doing the research is not the same person who is the decision maker um, yeah. or one of multiple decision makers. Right, right. Much more complex, a lot more steps and, and you know, tasks involved. That makes sense. Um, tell us the the story, you know, you, you had mentioned that you got into a startup accelerator, tiny seed mm-hmm. and where I think my listeners can really take away a lot of insight is I can only imagine preparing to, to participate in something like that involves, uh, you know, getting your, your value proposition pitch down your elevator pitch, if you will. Uh, you know, rehearsing that, having a really effective slide deck, having, you know, all of the various objections that you probably got through the, you know, evaluation of that. Tell us how you prepared for it. Uh, you know, any, any stories you have from kind of going through the, the de- I'm sure you had a demo day or a pitch day uh, and maybe it was several of those, but yeah, just tell us a story about Tiny Seed and, you know, what can we take away from that as sellers who are also preparing to get in front of prospects and, and executives and buyers with our presentations and our value pitches? Yeah, so it, it kind of, it felt very much like an enterprise sales deal kind of situation in that, um, like, they there were a lot of materials that they had asked for before we even got onto a phone call. So, like, there was an application that was extensive. They asked for a copy of the pitch deck, and they had a bunch of specific questions you want to know about like financials addressable market competitors 
things like that. And then after that, after, and then hearing nothing for a while, suddenly out of nowhere, they come out and they say, hey, uh, thanks for sending this. Let's schedule a call with this person. And then, oh, wow. and then we had uh, a call with, with uh, someone from the Tiny Seed program. They asked us a bunch of questions about uh, that related to our deck, related to the materials that we had sent. And like by that point, we were like in having prepared this deck, we were pretty confident in all of our answers and all the materials. And so we were really ready for it. But it, it very much felt like felt like an enterprise deal and that like they wanted they wanted some specifics for them. And you were like, all right, I'm I'm creating these at these pieces of content and these assets that probably will not be used for other people because this is a very specific use case here. But if it goes well, it, it's it's going to be a win. And so yeah. We also like in going into this, did our due diligence to know what the, uh, what the program was about, know other companies that were in the program. Um, and so we had specific questions for them ready to go uh, as well. And then we had three rounds of interviews. And then like, like later the same day we had our last interview, we got the offer, which, oh, wow. which was cool. Uh, but yeah, like the whole process from start to finish took, um, I guess, well, it took about a month, month and a half, start to finish uh, before we got the term sheet. And then another two months before uh, we like officially signed on, like we, I think we like, we got the application in early January. We officially signed on as of like May 1st uh, of 2021. Is that the, uh, is that the only fundraising you guys have done for, for the company or have you raised money elsewhere also? Yeah, that's the only fundraising that we've done. We hadn't really been looking for fundraising elsewhere. Um, in particular, like my co-founder and I uh, have otherwise been bootstrapping this because mm -hmm. we we were well. One, we were able to do this because we previously sold our agency and were right. able to use some of the proceeds of that to help uh, fund us. The main thing that we were really looking for uh, in like the accelerator program wasn't wasn't just the funding, but it was the program itself and the network. Um, getting feedback from more experienced entrepreneurs who know people who could potentially become acquirers of our mm -hmm. product, yeah. uh, things like that. Or, um, and just, and yeah, in the last eight months or so that we've been in the program, it's been, we've been getting just like a, like a ton of insights that, uh, and direction that have helped us that, you know, otherwise we would have been taking forever to figure out ourselves. And, and I guess tying back to my, earlier comment about how like reaching out to people who are more established in a field to get mentorship and advice. Um, it, it's been kind of the same thing. Like, even though this was our second uh, startup venture, there are always people who are more experienced, who can mm -hmm. give you some value and help point you in the right direction if you don't know where to go. And yeah, they're like the other members of our cohort, the other mentors that are running the program just have been super helpful to help us level up, uh, then without basically. Yeah. I was curious, you know, how hands-on the folks over at tiny seed are, it sounds like they are, you know, able to, to offer up referrals and things like that. If they have them, uh, you know, do, do they provide pretty consistent sort of coaching and those sort of things? Uh, I, you know, I'm always curious, like with Y Combinator and tiny seed and there's thousands of other ones out there. Yeah. Uh, and I know that they probably vary depending on the organization, but it sounds like Tiny Seed, at the very least, is pretty hands-on and invested in in the scale of of the business. 
Yeah, so it's so there are like regular like team calls where we will go over like we'll get advice and feedback on some particular areas of running a startup from pricing and positioning to sales um, and marketing and they're just like a a ton of nuggets and insight that I've never seen in blog articles anywhere else. Yeah. Like there's a lot yeah. of lot of in the trenches advice that I've just never heard elsewhere. Um, some of which I'm sworn to secrecy about, but like, it's like really just like, it, it's been crazy how, how much, uh, how helpful that uh, a lot of that has been. And also like just the networking of other people in our cohort, in our group, we see people, other people at startups that are doing different things from us doing, using different technologies and bouncing ideas off each other has been just super helpful. So, um, I guess really, I would say no matter what business you're in or role you're in, mm. having a mastermind group in particular is yeah. going to be super helpful for your career. Uh, I've been in mastermind groups for, I don't know, since 2014 or so, and they've always been super helpful for me, helping me to get feedback when I'm stuck on anything or advice from uh, people that I want to get advice from. You know, they're, they're, when you're running a business or, or anything like that, there are often people giving you unsolicited advice, but yeah. I want to get, I want to get advice from the people who I would want to take advice from. And so uh, I, I find mastermind groups with people that are in like established or, or growing businesses who've done the things hopefully that, that uh, I would hope to achieve with my business. And so that kind of feedback has been very helpful. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. Uh, and I we're coming pretty close to time here, but I, I wanted to get one sort of big question uh, mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. So most of my listeners, it's, it's January of 2022. And mm -hmm. I'd say the vast majority of my listeners right now are staring ahead at the year to come. There's, you know, a complete bloodbath going on today in the stock market. There's an Omicron and some other new variant of the COVID virus. And I'm not even, I don't even remember what it is now. Oh, great. Uh, there's just all kinds of stuff going on. And, you know, as as uh, Andreas and Harwood said a long time ago, software is eating the world and that continues to happen. I think we've probably gone from 10 to 20,000 SaaS startups to well beyond that. I don't, I, I don't have a number off the top of my head. Uh, and I think, you know, you're, you're, you're someone I want to ask this question of having started this company that's in what I think is a pretty crowded space. Mm. What, what can we do, you know, or what are you doing to, to stand out from all the, the noise? There's a lot of noise out there, not just from a competitive vendor standpoint, but people are focused on the economy and on, uh, you know, the COVID situation and the macroeconomics and all that, uh, but also focused on, you know, finding the right technology fit for their business in the coming year and making sure they don't make a bad decision that could, you know, have a ripple effect later on. So I'm really curious. I think that the, the short the short version of that same question is what are you doing to, to stand out from the noise? What are some things you've done to, to just kind of keep pressing forward and, you know, again, stand out in somebody's inbox because it's, again, they're probably getting most, most business leaders and, and executives are getting probably hundreds of emails from SDRs and sellers every single day. What are some of the tricks you've used to, to stay relevant and stand out? Okay. So I guess there are, there are, two questions. One's a bigger picture thing. And one is like very specific, um, like bigger picture. Like there are only a handful of reasons why someone buys your product. Um, it saves them time. It saves them money. Um, it helps them make money. 
Um, like there are like a finite number of reasons that anyone would like buys a particular product right. um, and buys a product over any other product. And so um, I want like, if, if I'm trying to grow a business, I want to know what are my customers or potential customers doing now instead of using my product? Um, and what are, what are they not liking about the current process that they have? Uh, and are there, and like to see like, what is my opportunity there to get their attention? Um, in terms of like specifics of like the cold email that I, that I want to send that'll stand out in someone's inbox. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've sent many, many emails over yeah. the years. Um, and in particular, uh, something that I've been uh, really bullish on the past maybe six to eight months or so that I've been doing it um, is uh, throw, like throwing humor in, in my cold emails. So mm. in particular, there is, there is one guy named um, John Buchan, uh, B-U-C-H-A-N. He is... Uh, a, a British fella who has this course or this materials, his brand is Charm Offensive. Um, huh. And basically like his copy on his website was, I got really smashed drunk one night and sent a silly cold email and I've been closing crazy deals since. And so like the pretense of these emails is don't just like, you know, like there are so many templates and formats for, you know, uh, like PAS or BAB or whatever. Um, but you like think from the perspective of your recipient, you know, yeah. if you're getting dozens or hundreds of cold emails a day, you can spot them, you can spot them. And if you, and if you can spot them, your, your immediate thought is this has no new value Indeed. for me. Yeah. So uh, what can you do? Uh, there are some things that you can do to stand out being, like silly, humorous, or just basically getting the recipient to pause right before they hit the delete button, uh, get them to act like do a double take really uh, before uh, to get them to actually take a look at, mm -hmm. at your contents and then reply. Some things that I've been doing that have been getting me uh, good results. Uh, I've got a picture of me sitting next to my cat staring at the camera. Uh, and this is a image that is, that comes in is embedded in the email and so it's oh, like wow. hey hey joe uh i didn't hear back from you after my last email here is me and my cat uh the, and in parentheses the cat is the one on the left uh uh we are awaiting your reply and i've gotten a lot of replies to that just one silly thing of yeah uh, my, my most recently someone said okay you win where's your <laughs> scheduler um nice um, nice. like stuff like that, like making it so it looks like this email is coming from a human and not some robot or someone with a quota who's mm -hmm. has to send a couple hundred emails today. Um, so yeah, just taking that approach. And I realized at some point that there is like that if we all do this, then it's like, I mean, but it's been the same thing for everything yeah. with cold emailing. Like if we're all doing the same thing, then nothing stands out. Uh, but using, I found that, you know, using humor, um, but also like I, I get people to, I, I share the email copy with people to get them to prove it. Cause I may think I'm funny. I, I know a lot of people think they're <laughs> hilarious, but uh, yeah, I might have this I, problem. I, I want to share it with people to be like, all right, does this come off as 
cute or obnoxious because I don't want it right. to be obnoxious. I want it to be like, oh, that's whimsical. You um, like just to get the person to pause as they're hitting delete, delete, delete through their inbox. Yeah, that that's huge. And I, I don't know, maybe 2022 is the year that the cold email finally just becomes so saturated, but I, I like your approach. I think you're exactly right. And I've, I've tried to introduce humor into to my, just my whole sales process over the last couple of years, very lightly. And you have to be able to read the room too. Some people just, you know, especially if you start dealing with some of the enterprise uh, higher level or executive buyers, it can, it can be a slippery slope. You don't want to you don't want to assume someone's going to find you funny, like you said, uh, and definitely get a second opinion from someone on your team as to how it might be received. But I think the only thing I would add to what you say is just I'm this year I'm, I'm planning to pick up the phone more than I have maybe in the last couple of years, because I think one of the best ways you can build rapport with somebody is to just actually talk to them. And, you know, there's, there's so many cold emails going out at this point that, phone is actually now a way to differentiate yourself as a prospector because you're actually, you know, you've got the guts to, to pick up the phone and, you know, communicate your, your value as quickly as possible. And I think you can infuse humor into something like that also, and it can come across a little bit better, but man, it's, it's, it's tough looking ahead at 2022, knowing that people have a lot on their minds. Prospects are, you know, dealing with all kinds of different business problems and again, macroeconomic problems, but uh, you know, most of us are trying to go out and add value to, to our buyers and, and, you know, trying to help them solve complex problems in their business. And uh, yeah, I think your, your ideas around humor are, are right on point. Um, yeah. It's been working well so far. Um, and like it, it gets, I find that like, it gets like, once it gets the engagement, there is already some rapport, like it, it just inherently creates because Right. It's not just some salesperson pitching the benefits to this particular company. It's like connecting on a more human level of, of like, here is, here is my cat. And it's like, oh, I love this cat. Tell me more about this cat. I've had people who just ignore my copy and I'm like, tell me more about this cat. And then I'm like, all right, I got to redirect eventually. But there's, you know, this aspect of relation, building a relationship from this cold email. Um, that, um, I think works, you know, it, it's, 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 it's some work, but it, it yeah. uh, ends up, I, I, I find, uh, doing pretty well. That's, that's fantastic. Well, just, uh, in, in closing, maybe, uh, tell us how we can get in touch with you and then remind all the listeners, right. you know, suppose there's somebody out there listening right now who doesn't have a, a prospecting automation technology in place or, or something, you know, or they're looking at something or they have something that's not working for them. How can they reach you and, and learn more about what you guys are building? Or maybe there's somebody who, who wants to come work for you as a seller uh, at some point in 2022. Tell us uh, the best way to reach you and, uh, and any closing thoughts you have. So yeah, if you're looking for a new outreach tool, I, you can check us out at postaga.com, P-O-S-T-A-G-A.com. And just for this audience, if you want to try it out, um, it, we have a, four, a free uh, two-week trial, and if you use, if you upgrade, we'll give you three months uh, at fifty percent off using the coupon code uh, podcast fifty podcast five zero. Besides that, you can find me. I'm pretty easy to find online. There are not any other Andy Cabasos out there on yeah. uh, Twitter. I'm at Andy Cabasso. 
On Facebook, we have a group called uh, Grow Together SEO, which is geared towards cold outreach uh, and link building. Uh, and on LinkedIn, I'm Andrew Cabasso, I guess, because it sounds more professional. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I'm not on SoundCloud yet, but we'll, I don't know. We'll see. Awesome. Well, I will, I'll paste a couple of links to the profiles and to the promotional offer you've got going in the podcast notes. Andy, thank you so much for coming in, sharing your story and uh, how you're approaching 22 in terms of growing the business. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse. This is fun. 